0: Hey, you're back with ASIC Talks today, and we're going to be talking about the leadership of tomorrow and specifically using hindsight to look forward.
1: We're excited to have you back. If this is your first episode, feel free to check out our first two episodes of this leadership series. We're really excited about this episode because I know for me as a student and as a young person, it's always great to hear what type of decisions, what type of things are really important for tomorrow and how to use the stuff that's happened in the past to better yourself for tomorrow. This is ASIC Talks, a podcast to explore ideas and curiosities in areas such as investing, entrepreneurship, and professional development. We hope that the information from our conversations on this podcast will encourage you to step out, take risks, and achieve the goals you want.
2: There are going to be some moments when you, you lose. Um, and I think the, the greatest way for me personally to deal with that is having perspective. So, not one, nothing lasts forever. But two, when you are a planner, so when you are goals oriented, when you, when you lay out your vision for how you want this time at this internship to go, how you want this mentoring relationship to go, how you want this semester to go, when you lay out your goals very specifically and you make sure that you have people that can, you know, try to keep you accountable, To what you've, the standard you set for yourself, I think that when you fall, you don't stay down as long because you know that, hey, this is just a part of the path. And because I have planned and I have, you know, set a great foundation for success, this, this isn't like going to be a long moment of failure. This is just an incident that's going to help me grow. And I think that's the perspective you need to have is, hey, if things don't shake out how I thought they would, what can I learn from this? One, so this doesn't happen again. Um, But also, two, you know, mistakes are the best teachers. You don't want to keep making the same mistakes, but, you know, it sounds kind of crazy, but make new mistakes. Make new mistakes uh, because you'll learn so much from, okay. This didn't work out. I tried this new program at the job and they didn't like it. Okay, well, we'll, we won't do this again, but there were some good things from that. I can apply
0: to this next project I have. I love what Dana has to say about that. Uh, Failure really is the best part of success. That's where you have the opportunity to learn the most. Uh, I always tell myself when I'm failing and trying new things that I failed at more things than most people even have the courage to try.
1: I agree. So here's Elizabeth talking more about how to accept your losses and move on.
0: When you lose, like, call it a
3: loss. And don't try to sell yourself on, um, one of my managers the other day called a confirmation bias. Like, um, I worked really hard and I did all these things and if this one thing had happened, it would have been fine. Um, just call it a loss and look in the mirror and acknowledge that for whatever reason, this didn't happen. But then figure out whatever that reason is and put a plan in place so that that reason isn't a reason you lose in the future. You're gonna lose again. But if you can eliminate the reasons, at least you can not make the same mistakes. And I think that helps, in my experience, it helps you have the mental capacity to get back up and try again, because I'm gonna fail. But if I'm failing at new things, I'm learning and then I'll be better again. If I'm failing at the same thing over and over again, Um, either I'm just really horrible at that and I should stop doing it or I'm not learning anything in the process and that starts to become my own fault. And so then it starts like that helps me because it's something that I can bring back in and be like, okay, I'm something, I'm supposed to learn something in this that I'm not. What, what is it? And how do I try to go get that so that I don't keep screwing up?
1: That's great advice. When you lose, just call it a loss and continue on. But don't forget the mistakes you made so you don't make them again. Our next speaker is going to be talking more about how to handle being a winner. Here's Ed Baker.
4: I think, first of all, you have to understand who you are. And, and in my case, you gotta, you know, put your ego in check. I don't have to tell people that I'm funny. I better tell a joke. So it's how you approach it. But I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'll outwork you. I'll do my damnedest to try and outthink you. Um, but it's gotta be all for the good. It can't be all for the me. So I think um, too many people are too egomaniacal. I think um, there are way too many people that are narcissistic. Um, but you have to understand that that's part of the mix of what society brings us. And how you want to align yourself, I think, is a big part of understanding that everyone should look at themselves as a winner until such point that there's really a good reason to feel that over time they're a loser. But I don't buy loser mentality. I don't hang with losers. I don't want to hear losers sing the blues. Okay, and, and I'll head in a different direction if I see that coming my way. There's a little good to be gained from that. I feel sorry for them. It's not a good way to live your life and live your life. And in your life. You know, woe is me doesn't work.
0: Like Ed said, no blues, I agree. Don't waste time complaining. As a leader, you should always be able to find the good in most things that happen to you and how you can take advantage of that. Those are the opportunities that other people pass up because they think it's too challenging.
1: That's great advice from our speakers about how to handle being a winner, but also how to handle losses and use those in a positive way down the road. But I'm still really curious about what if you don't feel like you're supposed to be in the role you're in, or maybe you don't have the confidence to be a leader, how do, you, how do you handle that intimidation, and how do you handle faking it?
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people struggle with this. I personally definitely felt like this when I started my current internship. Um, everybody was a lot older than me, more experienced put together. I just felt like I didn't belong there.
1: So let's hear from Ryan about this problem, about how to fake it till you make it. I think,
5: you know, if you don't
1: walk around
5: in almost every situation— with some sense of that, then you're probably screwing something up. You're probably doing something wrong. There has got to be some level, healthy level of fear or apprehension that maybe, maybe I'm missing something or could I be doing more or, you know, am I really putting forth the best effort effort possible? Uh, and so, yeah, that's happened. I think in any any job I've ever had, that certainly happened to me. When I was you know, a, a technology consultant as a, you know, snot-nosed 22-year-old kid right out of college having to go into a, a a client site and instruct these people who've been doing their job longer than I've been alive. Here's how you're going to do it better. Uh, I absolutely had to go in with the sense that I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I am an imposter. But take that uh, that healthy little bit of fear and turn it into – um, sort of an opportunity to demonstrate value in a different way. And so, what I had to do was, particularly in that situation, sort of flip it around and get them to really trust me uh, and engage in um, the establishment of meaningful relationships. So, they trusted me not because I was coming in and telling them how to do their job better, but just because I really wanted to learn from them. I wanted to understand how they actually did their job and, and, and what made them great at their job and what were the things they struggled with at their job so that then I could explain to them how uh, my solution that my company was bringing could come alongside and supplement and complement what they were already doing, not replace them. And so I don't think I would have been able to do that effectively if I had been walking in thinking, you know, I'm a man. I know exactly what's going on here. I had to have that level of I have no clue. Uh, and then eventually when I moved into the practice of law, there's a reason they call it the practice of law. Because it's constantly evolving and changing. And if, if you think that you're it and you know everything there is to know, you're going to get whooped. Uh, somebody's going to come along uh, who's been doing it longer, who knows more, who who spent more time researching, who stayed up later looking at the documents and reviewing uh, all the critical information. <clears throat> and so you have to have uh, that level of, again, like I talked about, you got to have, have some humility and think, you know what, I <laughs> it may not be the best but I can work at becoming the best. I can do a little more research. I can stay up a little later. I can edit that document one more time. Uh, I can seek a little more advice from someone who's been doing this a little bit longer. You know, now I, you know, I move into, into education and when I get up in front of you know, a group of students, um, I, I don't know everything that's going on in their world. You know, I, I don't, with every year, it's sort of, you know, students sort of stay the same age because I'm constantly teaching the same age of students, but I keep getting a little bit older, and that means I'm going to get a little bit more removed. And to me, I think there has to be a little bit of healthy respect for the fact that I may not understand where my students are coming from. And so there is that, again, You know, I'm a bit of an imposter up here in that, yeah, I know what I'm talking about for my subject matter. But do I know what I'm talking about? In a way to to sort of relate that subject matter to to your world, your worldview, the things that are important uh, to you. But it, but again, I think it goes back to that one of the three things I think is so key is having that sense of humility. Um, and and with that, then comes sort of that that desire, constant desire to or willingness, I should say, to improve upon oneself and and continue to continue to learn. And so if you walk in thinking, you know what I. I I know it all you probably don't have that that desire to learn. You're probably not going to be motivated to um, again to to continue to try to adapt and evolve.
1: I think Ryan hit a great point there in mentioning. That even if you feel like you're faking it, you can still take advantage of the things you know well. And to leverage those things is the most important way to build momentum so you can be more confident about faking it. And then at some level, it, you won't be faking it anymore. You'll have traction and you'll be able to be able to work with others with confidence. Our next question, our next conversation is talking more about how to handle feedback. Here's William talking about that.
6: Read a lot of history, you know, because you see that one of the key problems is when institutions and people get to a certain success level, they stop really considering feedback, especially if it's negative, you know? Because they think they know everything there is to know about everything there is to know, you know? The the criticism and the feedback, hopefully you'll use it to make mid-course corrections, but, but you have to be open to making mid-co. If you're if you're guiding the ship and you know where it's going, and you know, nobody can tell you anything about where it's going. And then somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, there's an iceberg over there. You say, no, I know where we're going. We're going straight this way. Boom, you run into the iceberg. Uh, corporations, individuals, institutions have run into that uh, repeatedly. Your degrees of freedom to make course correction is smaller now. You know? you have less time you have less flexibility to make course corrections so those leaders in your generation who are going to be the the very best are going to listen to this uh, feedback this criticism in some cases and positive stuff and be able to make be able to make changes to the direction very quickly that's going to be one of the distinguishing characteristics of leaders in your generation using these new tools use and, and understanding and part of it is not only making the corrections quickly, but understanding what part of the feedback you should pay attention to and what part of the feedback you should not pay attention to. Because remember, there's also negative feedback. People, what do they call them? Haters. Haters. <laughs> there are haters out there who will say stupid stuff. I got some of my family. I'm not going to get into that. But, I, you know, everybody does. Everybody's got a family, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I, I get it. You know, jealousy is a clear part of the human psyche, all of these negative emotions. It's there. It's you know, it's been there forever. So yes, people are gonna people are gonna hate. Hate is gonna hate, you know? So part of the skill for your generation is understanding, but not all criticism is coming from haters. Some of it, as the chairman the new chairman of the Fed said, hey, well thought out, well structured criticism, goal. It's absolute goal. So part of the task is determining what's valuable criticism, determining what's not valuable criticism, what is just the haters, and then also determining how you could use that feedback in order to make mid-course corrections quickly and in the right direction. It's one thing to make mid-course corrections quickly, everybody can do that. Somebody says something, you say, all right, get the blue one rather than the green one, you know, but you have to know which, you, you have to make the right decision with respect to course correction. Here's the other thing about that. I know that gives people a lot of anxiety. Well, what if I make the wrong decision, you know? Part of the other thing that you have to be is flexible enough to say, "Hey, I made the wrong decision there. Let me quickly go back to what I think is the right uh, path," you know? So that that's part of it. Now, and again, with the increase in frequency and the reduction in the degrees of freedom that you have, there is a danger of getting whipsawed. So, you make a change this way, you say, no, that was the wrong way, then you make a quick change the other way, you say, no, that was the wrong way, you make a change. We see that all the time in the stock markets where guys will buy a stock, it'll go down two points, they'll say, let me sell, then it will go up five points, they'll come back in and they'll say, oh, I should have bought, I should have held on, let me buy, you know? And then it'll go down 10 points, they say, ah, you know? So you have to, the way you combat that is really having a very good feel for your overall goal and your overall strategy. You know, that's one of the ways to, to combat uh, uh, this whipsaw effect. With some flexibility to make mid-course corrections quickly, but with a solid understanding of who you are, what your goals are, and what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting how he talks about being an effective leader. Um, doesn't always mean you're playing for the right team or supporting the right causes. I think that's interesting and important to look out for. I also really like how he mentioned being confident in yourself and not listening to um, the haters. And he brings up how they can be in your family. And one thing it really made me think about is sometimes when you are an entrepreneurial or coming up with new ideas, um, things that haven't been done before, like uncharted waters, your parents, as loving as supporting as they are usually, might be um, you know your biggest opposition because you are sacrificing job security. And that's something your parents probably want for you unless you're really lucky and your parents were entrepreneurs too
1: yeah that's a great point that he made in terms of handling the haters i think the craziest and most difficult part about doing what you want is it's not what everyone else around you wants for you so it's very hard for you to go kind of against the people that are closest to you and the people that you really look up to and do something they don't necessarily approve of but i think it's a great point to also recognize that that's part of this point of stepping out and really having confidence to be who you want to be and do what you want to do. So here's our next speaker talking more about how to handle feedback from other employees or just people in your life.
2: Um, Yeah, sometimes it's hard to hear, but I I really, I I think that to be in a healthy environment, we have to be very candid and and we have to have a culture that accepts people being candid with each other because there's nothing worse than not being able to express concerns, constructive criticism, and all of that, and just sort of burying it below the surface. So, you know, I've certainly had my share of candid feedback, and I appreciate it, I, you know, or I come to appreciate it. I think it's one of those things that's just critical to have a successful organization.
1: Awesome. Another great episode. We're really excited about our last episode of this leadership series, which will be coming out next. It's on hypotheticals or just questions that are relative to young professionals and students right now. We're really excited to share this insight with our speakers with you all. And just overall, really excited how this whole series has turned out so far. We really hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being here with us today. You can find more details about either of us or any of our guests on the show details. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you definitely should.